Lord, we thank you this morning that you have brought us through another week, and you have brought us to the beginning of a new week, and you have given us rest on this day because of the finished work of Christ. We ask that you would help us now to meditate on your word, to focus on your good pleasure rather than our own, and to be nourished by the preaching of your word. We ask that in Sunday school, we would be able to dig in and have a good conversation about what we see and learn in your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would awaken us to the truths of your word and help us to apply them in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we, we begin week three of, uh, of three for our study in Proverbs, looking at character and competence. Two weeks ago, we covered the first nine chapters of Proverbs. We met the three main characters, the son, the woman wisdom, and the woman folly, and talked about the competencies of information and time management. For information, we said it starts with the Bible. So read the Bible every day. Read it all the way through. Read it over and over again. We said beyond that, read books because they can help you understand where you are, where you are going, and how to get there. So a tool that you need for the competency of information is books. Proverbs 14.8a says, The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way. Of time, we said it starts with the Lord's day, in preparation for which we learn to order our common affairs beforehand, the essence of time management. We said, be like Ezra, be like Jesus, have a purpose, have a plan, do it, be ready, learn to prioritize, match available time to priorities, seek and give mentorship in this competency, and the tool that we uh, talked about for this competency is a calendar. You need a calendar. Last week, we read Proverbs chapters 10 through 20, and we talked about stewarding talents. Of talents, we said, money management begins with tithing. Tithing is the first step in making sure we are paying attention to our finances. For starters, we have to know how much we make. We have to be able to calculate 10%, and we have to be able to live on what's left after that. These are the first steps towards responsible financial behavior. The Christian ethic instructs us to provide for our family, to give to those in need, to save up for our children, and to leave an inheritance to our children's children. We said after we've earned some money, there's only three things that we can do with it. Give it, save it, and spend it. We should always be doing all three. We also said avoid debt in all its forms. Seek and give mentorship in this competency, and for this competency, the tool we identified, or perhaps failed to identify, but I'll identify now, is a budget. So for information, books, for time, a calendar, and for talents, a budget. You need a budget. Two weeks ago, I used the examples of fractals to illustrate how wisdom and folly are constituted. 
and the example of divergence to illustrate how they relate. Remember, fractals are the things that are made up of the same but smaller shapes, which are made up of the same but smaller shapes. Last week, I used my baby girl's ornate building blocks to explore how proverbial concepts are presented in sequences and patterns and how those concepts can be extracted and examined through word or topical searches. Then I suggested that the form of Proverbs in chapters 20 through 29, I'm sorry, 10 through 29, are similar to DNA. DNA is made up of ornate building blocks. Those blocks are carefully arranged into three-dimensional structures that end up communicating incredible amounts of information that are matched only by the incredible efficiency and effectiveness of that information being communicated. And I asserted that what we're reading in chapters 10 through 29 is the genetic code of wisdom. This week, we're going to explore some final observations about chap- uh, the characters and as they develop and are developed in Proverbs. And we'll look at our final competency, which is relationships. We read uh, chapters 21 through 31 this week. Chapters 21 through 29 are highly similar to chapters 10 through 20. Chapters 30 and 31 stand out a bit. So we'll take a quick look at the chapters we read this week for differences, because much of what we said last week of 10 through 20 is similar to what we found in chapters 21 through 29. But there's a couple things in chapters 22 and 20 through 24 we'll touch on. In chapter 30, we'll look at, because it's a little bit different, we'll briefly examine some significant supporting cast members that we've passed along the way throughout all of Proverbs that we've passed over at this point. And then we're going to step back and look one more time at the entire book and the arc of the narrative of the whole book and discover the happy union of the sun and wisdom bears fruit in chapter 31. So remember the wisdom of Solomon. He asked God for it. God gave it to him. And then Solomon shares it with us. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through the rest of the chapter, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts, and of birds, and of reptiles, and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So, something to note here as we're looking at Proverbs is there is a tradition of wisdom. Wisdom teaching, wisdom writing, wisdom thinking, preparing Proverbs, uh, writing them down. It's related to uh, even the oral tradition of, of these ancients. Uh, in being able to pass on wisdom and being able to remember 3,000 proverbs is an important skill for a king, a ruler, because he would be able to reference 
that dictionary in his mind for how to deal with various situations. In this tradition, we see that kings all over the world are coming and talking to Solomon about his wisdom, and there's communication back and forth about it. And we see in chapter 10 one example of such a dignitary coming and talking to him. Uh, Cleopatra uh, from Ethiopia, or I think the name, I actually don't remember if the name is actually given in Scripture, but the queen of Ethiopia, um, who we at least call Cleopatra, comes and talks to uh, Solomon. Looking at, uh, for myself, looking at the notes from the editors of the Geneva Study Bible, they point out something as we read Proverbs chapters 22, uh, verse 17 through 24, verse 22. It appears to be drawn from the Egyptian wisdom of Amenemope. Think of, uh, think of how Paul quotes Greek philosophers in his writing. You see Proverbs also is quoting uh, perhaps other nations' literature uh, as it draw, pulls in wisdom uh, that, is, that is right and accurate. In chapter 30, another example, it uh, is written by a man named Augur that we don't hear anything about anywhere else in Scripture. He's believed to be a foreigner. Uh, and his chapter is notable because it uses the numerical form of uh, wisdom literature, something that we haven't seen much of in the rest of the book. It's a little bit different, but it says things like, the leech has two daughters, give and give. And then it says three things you know, are amazing for this reason, four for that. So there's this counting that's going on that can serve as a, as a way for it to help us remember the Proverbs. And you see that pattern repeated several times in chapter 30. So those are some of the, the things that we notice from the portion of the Proverbs that we read this past week. But now I want to go back and I want to look at the supporting cast that up till now we've passed over uh, that ends up surfacing in Proverbs. And there's really three or four that rise above the rest. There's, ver- there's all kinds of verses scattered around about the sluggard or the lazy person or what have you. But there's three or four uh, folks that, that rise to the surface and end up getting uh, a decent passage devoted to them. And we want to just look at that for a minute and think about why. Chapters 5 through 7 introduce us to the adulteress. But we come back to the adulteress in chapters 23 and 30 uh, from this week's reading, and we hear in chapter 23, verse 26, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. And then Proverbs 30 20 says, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. The language of Proverbs, of course, is is sublime. It's modest and discreet, and yet it speaks volumes. The words of Proverbs carry with them a depth of meaning that match exactly what you already know. And so the experienced person understands more than the young and the inexperienced. If this is true in, in these words and these passages, consider what you may not appreciate about righteous living. We're told that it, how it ends, how it unfolds, and how it ends. And if we haven't experienced that yet, either because we haven't ri- lived righteously or because we haven't lived long, uh, we want to 
take the instruction of Proverbs to live that way because as we live in that manner, it will be unfolded to us. The wisdom of wisdom will be unfolded to us as we live in that way. So take again uh, the satisfaction of well-behaved grown children, the outcome of diligence, the defense offered by wealth, and the pleasure of a good wife. All of these things mean so much more to those who have experience, who have experience, either direction. Um, So as our experience grows, our understanding deepens. So why do we meet the adulteress rather than the fornicator? Proverbs 6, For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. So it's as simple as this. Fornication will cost you, perhaps everything, but adultery will get you killed. The drunkard uh, surfaces in chapter 23. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Why do we meet the drunkard rather than the glutton? The temptation to gluttony is difficult to avoid in modern America. We have uh, a land of plenty. Uh, But don't just think of it as always being recognizable from appearances. Factors within and without our control can shape our bodies. But gluttony goes deeper than overeating. It's overindulgence of every kind. And we live in America in a land of plenty of every kind. Proverbs 23 says, Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. But the drunkard, like the adulteress, comes to the fore. Why? Over time, gluttony will steal your health. The glutton will not prolong life with the wise. He'll come to poverty like the unrighteous. But drunkenness is more sudden and complete in its destructive power. At any moment, one sip too much can undo a life that is otherwise, of otherwise good living. So fornication and gluttony are still foolish, and they're still sinful. Proverbs 28 says, The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Proverbs 29, He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. So what is the principle at work here? I'm just using 
the adulteress and the fornicator, the drunkard and the glutton, because the adulteress and fornicator come to the fore, but you have all of these other many sins, laziness and sluggardly behavior, lack of discipline, all kinds of things that fit into these categories of uh, sins like fornication and gluttony that don't get as much attention in the, in the narrative, um, but are all there, of course. Why is that? I, I think we can get from the larger catechism questions and answer 150, uh, a principle that is at work here as well. Are all transgressions of the law of God equally heinous in themselves and in the sight of God? All transgressions of the law are not equally heinous, but some sins in themselves and by reason of several, several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. As some sins are more heinous than others, some foolish behavior is more foolish than other foolish behavior. So we meet the adulteress and the drunkard because they represent the putrid, rancid ripening of foolishness. You see, foolishness leads to more foolishness, like sin leads to more sin. The path descends to death. Gluttony is a step toward drunkenness, and fornication is a step toward adultery. But there's another character that we meet, this one escapes no one's notice. The fool himself. We meet him in such a way that he introduces another, uh, someone else, that by the end of this section I'll read here, we will, all, uh, we will all catch. So let's read a little bit about the fool. Chapter 26 gives us a concentrated uh, look at the fool, and I slipped a verse from chapter 27 in as well. Chapter 26, verse 1, skipping verse 2. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's leg, which hangs, legs which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And from 27-22, crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. And then back to chapter 26, verse 12, we read, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So those are the, the last two characters that rise to the surface to look at. The fool, and then as we see in this wisdom literature, the, the method that was used there that really drove an important point home for us. As you read all of those verses on the fool, it's sounding pretty, pretty bad. Uh, it doesn't sound like there's a hope, any hope for a fool. And all of that is put in perspective with the last verse when it says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. 
This takes us to our competency of relationships. We've seen information begins with the Word of God. Time begins with the Lord day, Lord's Day. Talents begin with the tithe. Relationships begin with bearing God's image. G.K. Chesterton points out that we do not serve a lonely God. He's a triune God. He's relational in his very being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he created us because he desired to be in relationship with us. The Spirit God created fleshy men in his image and said it isn't good for man to be alone. He made him a wife And the one God in three persons said the two shall become one flesh. And that union begets a third thing, right? The man and wife and the seed. Relationships. But they wanted to be wise in their own eyes. We read in Genesis chapter 3, the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was to be desired to make one wise. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We're surrounded by relationships. Paul and Peter mirror each other in uh, dealing with several archetypal relationships. We have creator, created, or creator-creature, husband-wife, parent-child, master-servant, brothers and sisters What is the key to being a blessing in these relationships? I had to look up the parts of the key so I could carry my analogy on. And the the pieces at the end are called teeth, just in case you didn't know that. So this key has three teeth. Uh, Our view of God, our view of ourselves, and our view of others. So for relationships, we want to think for a moment about our view of God. First, he is, as we read in Isaiah, high and lifted up. He is holy, holy, holy. We must see that the invisible God who dwells in unapproachable light is righteous. He's good, true, and beautiful. And he deserves our worship without adding anything else to that, just because of who he is. So that is a piece of our view of God. But then he did something that also demands our worship. He created everything, and he created us. We need to see his wisdom and his power in creation and providence and then worship him for that all over again. But then there is a third thing. When we were dead in trespasses and sins... He redeemed us, and he didn't do it cheaply. We weren't cheaply bought. It cost him dearly. It cost him his only begotten son, and we worship him for that. So that is the first part of our key to relationships. We have to have a proper view of God. What about our view of ourselves? Paul tells us in Romans 12, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
there is a balance here. We are rotten sinners, yes, but we're also loved by God and we're gifted by God. And we need to use our gifts for his purpose and for our sanctification. So Paul tells us, think, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. But use sober judgment to recognize the giftings that God has given you. Acknowledge your sinfulness, your need for Christ and his salvation, your need for the Spirit to sanctify you. But be self-aware, be cognizant of the gifts that God has given you. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. We should be working to identify, refine, strengthen those gifts and working to put them to work in the church, in our lives, in our relationships to further God's purposes. That's the second key. We had our view of God, our view of ourselves, and then our view of others. Paul again says in Ephesians 4, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility is the key to relationships. The three teeth are view of God, our view of ourselves, and our view of others. But the key is humility. Do you see a a man wise in his own eyes? That's not humility. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Calvin says that humility is agreeing with God And R.C. Sproul says that humility is fearing God. Solomon says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But what is the end of wisdom? We haven't talked about Proverbs chapter 31 yet. And we haven't reviewed the arc of the whole book, as promised. So at the beginning, to refresh a little bit, we met three characters, the son, the woman wisdom, and the woman folly. And the woman wisdom was calling, as was folly, come to my house. Wisdom says, come to my house and I will teach you wisdom. Folly says, come to my house and we will fill our purse now. We'll fill our bellies now. We'll take our fill of love now. But in chapters 10 through 29, we see the son heeds the call of wisdom. He goes into her house. He sits at her feet. And we hear the instruction in those chapters that wisdom promised when she said, come into my house and I will give you instruction. So in the middle, that's in the middle, so the beginning, then in the the middle we saw him go into the house and take the instruction. By the end, in chapter 31, we discover that the son has become a wise king. He avoids the adulteress. He is not given to drunkenness. And he comforts the perishing, distressed poor. He speaks for those without a voice. He upholds justice for the poor and needy. 
What is his name? And what is his son's name? As Augur asks. In the presence of the wise king, we see the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. In chapter 31, the son has become the wise king, and the woman wisdom has become the wise woman. These are none other than Christ and his church. For to which human did God ever say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased? That's been the drumbeat of Proverbs throughout. My son, listen to me. My son, do it, do it as I say. Do as your mother says, right? And then Proverbs that say things like, the son that does what his mother and father say, make them happy, and the son that doesn't makes them terribly sad. And then we have God say of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the son of Proverbs. This is, a, this is hope-filled indeed because as we read Proverbs, we see ourselves as quite a mixed case. Uh, occasionally, we, we've done one of the right things that it tells us to do. And frequently, we have done the wrong things. It warns us not to do. But Jesus is the one who has lived wisely. And so we hear Pilate say, Behold the man. We behold the man. It is Christ. Christ is the wise son. Christ is the wise king. And in him, we discover that the way of wisdom is a person. A person that we come to love. One of my favorite musicians, Michael Card, says it this way. The way of wisdom starts out with a step of holy fear. That's only the beginning, and there is much more that is clear. The path leads on to love, and love is fearless in its ways. For love himself was not afraid to die, that we be saved. So we're almost out of time. And we see now how Jesus fits into Proverbs. How do we fit? We, I would suggest, are the fractals. The smaller shapes that make up the bigger shape. The fractals of Christ and the church. As we read Proverbs and study it, and we try to apply it in our lives and live it, we are meant to grow up into the full man, Jesus Christ. The men, you're supposed to be like the wise king. And women, you're supposed to be like the wise wife. And that's all I had. So, we'll close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the Proverbs. We ask that you would help us to study it, to value wisdom as Solomon did, but to value it as you have valued it, telling us that it is more precious than much wealth, that it can prolong our lives, that it can assist us on the path of righteousness. We ask that you would help us to walk that path indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.